to the Simpleton Podcast. We have an interview today. It is with Nick Dolinger. He is a recent convert, and he is the creator of a podcast called The Beautiful Toilet. Nick, do you want to like explain your podcast or the title of your podcast for everyone who hasn't yeah, come, the, become uh, acquainted with it? The title is taken from uh, a translation of an old uh, Chinese poem by Ezra Pound. It's originally by Mei Sheng, and of course, it's a toilet in the archaic sense. It's about a you know like a woman like putting on her makeup and perfume in the morning. But um, you know, I was drawn to like the different la- layers of meaning, like the kind of like you know Orientalist uh, like tact that it kind of has, like um, and you know the connection to like fashion and beauty, and also like to Ezra Pound, who's been like one of my uh, one of my uh, staples, you know, one of my mainstays um, overall. And so I just thought that, you know, I, I spent so long like looking for a title. And when I've read that, um, it, it just kind of like struck me and I'm like, that's it. You know, it's like a no brainer. Um, but it, it really like, t- it was a month long process to even figure out what I was going to call this project when I started it. And yeah, it's kind of just like, a, you know, I, it's really important to me to consider it as like a labor of love. Um, to, uh, you know, it's like a revolving door of like things that I'm interested in and, uh, yeah. Well, I, you know, found you and I thought it was important to invite you on because I found your podcast and then in the middle of this podcast, you kind of unexpectedly reveal that you're Catholic Uh and you start having these Catholic conversations with people who are clearly like not believers, Uh you know, everything from like club kids to, Hyper political gay men, and you're having these like very ironic conversations that then turn like really authentic really quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I I may not understand ir- irony well enough, so I got more questions about that later. But the reason why I brought you onto our podcast was I feel like we're um, the people who are in my circles are very limited, and I'm noticing that. And by limited, I just mean that our view of the way Christ is working in the world is too limited, mm-hmm. and I'm seeing people show up to our book club who I just generically call the recovering nihilists, like people who are coming out of the culture, discovering Simple House, discovering the book club. And they just have a very different worldview than people who maybe became missionaries or, you know, became associated with us in another way. And I feel like your podcast is an important part of this, like, kind of outside the box stuff that's going on. Like, it's not like us complaining about Pope Francis or wondering what his next move is or, you know, talking about classical education or just like this, like, middle-aged mentality of watching all the institutions you love fall apart right now, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. everything from, like, Disney to the American—I mean, like, not that Disney was ever great shakes, but we Mm -hmm. loved it, you know, Mm -hmm. us middle-aged people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, And so I'm kind of curious—I want to hear about— your conversion, how you got to New York City, and then I want to ask you some questions about the podcast and this kind of conversation you're having with people. Yeah, well, thank you for uh, for all your kind words. That's uh, that's exactly like the vibe that I want to cultivate. So it's good to you know hear it vindicated and and, and to see that you get my vision like so uh, precisely and that shines through. So thank you. Well, where are you from originally, and how'd you end up in New York City? So I'm from a town in Pennsylvania called York. Uh, you probably haven't heard of it, but um, I, I've driven through it. Oh, right, right. We might have talked about that actually. Yeah. You guys have the York dumbbells. Yeah, right? yeah, York barbell. Yeah. And there's a man with a there's a big 
That's, yes, so there's like the whole. Right? Mu- there's a museum, and there's like a store there that's completely like uh, out of stock with basically everything ever since like the weight shortage struck. But um, but yeah, that's uh, that's like uh, actually where I lived. Like right when I was born, like the first uh, three years of my life were basically like right at that exit off of I eighty three. So um, okay. but yeah, that's where I'm from. I live in uh, Brooklyn now. Um, I spent some time in Manhattan before that, about four years in Manhattan. Uh, as far as how I came to New York, like it was really just, um, it, it was just cause I went to college here and, um, I mean, I really like it. I, you know, I took a liking to it, which is why I stayed, but like, yeah, the initial catalyst for moving was just uh, going to college in New York. And, um, I, I actually spent my freshman year abroad. My school had like a program where you did that before, you know, it, it was like a total trial by fire. It's like before you're even settled in college, before you've ever lived, uh, anywhere, but like your hometown, you're, uh, you know, cast into like a foreign country with like a hundred odd freshmen. And it, um, so that was uh, pretty enlightening as well and pretty uh, formative. But yeah, as soon it, you know, after that year, I spent the rest of my time in New York city and East village specifically. So. And like, I feel like New York is kind of like the hotbed for culture in certain ways, you know, Um, and you went there and then somehow in that environment, you found Christianity. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of a mystery to me, too. Um, You know, like I I almost, you know, I'm tempted to like just totally uh, set aside my own agency and, you know, ascribe it to like the works of grace. Um, But I mean, it was also like a kind of dialectical process, um, you know, through like just like reading uh, certain texts. I was very influenced by uh, Chesterton first and then ultimately by Dante Alighieri. Um, and I think how that did Chesterton even get into your hand. I like how you're making like the Italian hands as soon as I right. say Dante Alighieri. <laughs> but, um, how did it, um, honestly, like, I think that there were two books I was reading at the time, which were very much not Christian, um, that both made a passing reference to him. One of them was, uh, the doors of perception by Aldous Huxley. And the other was, uh, the sex diary of Gerard Sorm by Colin Wilson, who's like an occultist, but they both mentioned Chesterton. I was like, Hmm, maybe I should see what this is about and what i learned about the premise of the man who was thursday i was like uh pretty like drawn to it because i liked the idea that it was like this like apocalyptic like metaphysical thriller and so that was like the first book that i read and i actually think that that's pretty far from like a catholic worldview because you know that's a relatively early work for chesterton as well and he seems to have like a more like a almost like a pantheistic worldview in that that kind of gets refined in like later works like the ball and the cross um, but it, you know, I was like drawn to like the mystery of it, like, you know, the, the way that it like speaks so lyrically about like the mysteries of life and started reading some of the, like the later, uh, apologetic work after that. Like, um, I think, uh, uh, the everlasting man was next for me, which was like a huge influence on my, uh, my own poetry as well. Aldous Huxley was a big influence on me. Also, really? and then Chesterton and Lewis were influences on me, but this is now 20 years ago. Uh-huh. And Chesterton's become way more popular in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Like 20 years ago, I was like bidding on an autographed uh, orthodoxy on eBay. Mm-hmm. And I got in a fight. The other bidder was like uh, the guy who, Dale Alquist, who founded the American Chesterton Society. Oh, yeah. But I, I, I think, and back then in eBay, you could send each other messages. Oh, and nice. uh, he was sniping back when sniping was first being invented. 
And uh, I told him it was really rude and kind of immoral what he had tried to do by buying that book out from underneath me. <laughs> and so we had this like back and forth and it was funny. I ended up joining the American Chess Society and I had the sense back then in the like late 90s that there were like 10 members, uh-huh. you know, Yeah. <laughs> now it seems a lot bigger. But I'm, I'm sorry, I got off track. Have you read, um, uh, but why, have you been watching this like uh, governor kidnapping in Michigan? Uh, I know like the broad contours of it, but I haven't been following any recent developments. It just reminds me of the man who was Thursday so perfectly. Oh yeah, well you know what? That's actually like a really uh, acute observation, I think, because like um, what strikes me about like compare that to his first novel, Napoleon of Notting Hill, right? And that is my all-time favorite novel. Like that is my favorite really? Chesterton work. So yes. what I um, notice about that is that it's presented as like this very like whimsical, like kind of like fun romp. But like the violence is actually like really disturbing. Like it is like like deeply like violent in a pretty like deranged way. Whereas like the man who was Thursday, it's all presented as like this like apocalyptic like super heavy thing. But like the violence never escalates beyond like a guy like accidentally socking a guy in the face. Like it's all like so it's really weird like uh to to contemplate like the contrast between them. Um I guess in the in the case of um the the man who is Thursday it kind of shows like how much like you know a good writer just by like setting a certain mood and tone can like create a like a feeling of suspense and like intensity in a situation where there's basically no violence like the entire thing is a, a ruse more or less you know um, right. but I you know I kind of have mixed feelings about violence I think it's one of these things that us modern people are too biased against. Mm-hmm. Like we just assume violence is bad and then work from that assumption. It's like, hold it, hold it, hold it. Hold it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where did you get that assumption? But like, I don't know. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I don't like to come off as like too edgy about it or whatever, but I think in a very real sense, like, like violence is necessary to like uphold the good and like the innovation of Christianity as opposed to like pagan warrior violence, which is like something you inflict on other people is like the idea that like it, that's replaced in every situation where you can with the ability to uphold the good by sacrificing oneself and becoming like the victim. I think that's true. Um, I I think I understood what you said pretty well. And I I believe that the spiritual violence of Christianity is definitely not a physical violence, you know, put on someone else. Mm -hmm. But I also feel weird that we're too allergic to it. Like if you just dwell Mm -hmm. on the old Testament, or um, just think of us as just like also a biological being that evolved from an animal world that's incredibly violent, mm-hmm. you know? It's just weird that we've posited it as so evil. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some ways that's backfired uh-huh. on us, particularly for men, you know? Uh-huh. And I, I tend to think that King David is kind of the saint par excellent that we should be like talking mm-hmm. about all the time because he's mm-hmm. the man after God's own heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus is born of his line and there's just, I mean, he's the guy who founds the temple. He's just, everything is so mm-hmm. great about King David, except he has like some really obvious sins. He's mm-hmm. also incredibly violent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I think there's a, my own dad, I'm sorry that I, we need to get back to your story, but my own dad is, if you were to say what his great virtue is, it was a certain violence. Um, it was a certain like willingness to be radical and, and, uh, you know, who's a big rugby player and football player and things like this. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I think there's something missing in our understanding right now. And I haven't been able to put my finger on it. So I can't. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to. Yeah, there you go. Uh-huh. Well, tell me. All right. So tell me about like. So Chesterton fell in your lap. Were you like stumbling into a church at this time or? 
Yeah, yeah. I like uh like dabbled. Like I would go to like some uh Sundays to like an Episcopalian church in the neighborhood. Um, but you know, I wasn't really like committed to a religion. I didn't have a community. And <clears throat> and so I ultimately like I just kind of like fell out of the habit. But I was still like, you know, interested in Christianity. Um and yeah, <clears throat> I at one point I was reading uh the Divine Comedy, um and I didn't realize until much later how influential it was on me. Just like seeing everything laid out and seeing like how uh, systemic and like comprehensive Catholic thought could be, and how it touches on everything and creates like such a like a genuine like cohesive worldview. Um, and I think that being exposed to the Divine Comedy at the time that I was was pretty influential. And then uh, from there, I guess it was like a matter of months before Catholicism just really came onto my radar more, and I you know, started saying it was a question of when, not if I would become Catholic. And it, that when turned out to be like sooner than I would have expected, I guess. But, um, because once you're in that frame of mind, you know, you just kind of like, you're, uh, excited to like move on to that. What did you ever, um, show up to your university's like Newman group or a campus ministry? And what was your reaction? Uh, only when I was, uh, already in RCIA, um, and, at that point, like that was like my senior year. Um, and I had like pretty, uh, limited, like, uh, interactions with them. Uh, they were very friendly. I would, uh, go to confession sometimes. Um, cause I didn't know you weren't supposed to do that when you were in RCIA. Um, but I was already baptized. So it was like, you know, it, it technically like sacramental, but, um, in any event, like I would go to confessions at the NYU Catholic center, which I thought was really helpful, like really convenient. And, uh, and I really liked the priest the, the that was there, um, but yeah, I I had like pretty uh, pardon limited experiences with uh, the Catholic life at NYU. I kind of just um, by virtue of like friends that I had, I got involved with like a uh, non denominational thing called InterVarsity. Um, and it basically, like, I had this idea that I wanted to launch a, uh, a fellowship group called the Muscular Christians of NYU and try to, like, revive, like, the tradition of muscular Christianity. And uh, it kind of, like, fell through, but I ended up uh, in InterVarsity for a season or two um, just because that was a... I had a friend who was involved and they were looking for someone to start like a men's fellowship group. And so it, I kind of like fit the niche in a weird way. It was just like a kind of like a fortuitous, um, but yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like a lot of people have felt there's something missing out of masculinity right now. And then I've never liked any of the projects they started though. Yeah. You know, like it's always felt like a little bit like LARPing or fake in some way. Yeah. I, um, found some like bible verses that i thought were like relevant to like masculinity and then we did a bible study and it was like i think there were like five of us and like i invited my like very red-pilled friend and he was just like oh, i think that that what was it um he was talking about how one or another like greek hero was just like uh it, 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 like abandoned his wife and how based that was but i thought it was like um <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was like a useful, like clarifying conversation just to like, you know, see the, uh, the difference. Um, but well, what do you mean by based? Like, what's it mean to say, uh, leaving your wife is based? 
Um, okay. I, I think that he was saying something to the effect that, like, um, that being, like, independent from a woman and, like, not, uh, you know, allowing her concerns to dominate you. I don't know. I'm trying to be, like, charitable, but... Um... Well, even that doesn't sound like a great <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's what I said. And I'm like, well, look, like you look at like this, like myth, it's like, well, not only did it like, you know, did, did he betray his promise, but like, you know, he also like brought ruin on his family. Um, I, I feel, is it Perseus or something? I, uh, I need to brush up on my mythology. So I know the reference that was made, but it was like, a, it, it was a pretty, uh, I mean, I just thought it was like a good Bible study because it was probably like the most like contentious, uh, that I'd been to. And right. Like, um, and you know, everyone was kind of like, you know, dude, what? Like, um, but you know, that I, was... I find that to be good Bible studies too. Like we had a guy at, at our book club kind of make the suggestion that there would be pain in heaven uh -huh. and it like just sparked a good conversation. Cause he like uh -huh. had some reasons why he thought that would be the case. Hmm. And, um, or maybe I'm putting a few words in his mouth, but it was just like, thankfully, someone's saying something outside the box here. So we don't uh, have yeah, to just yeah. be, you know, politely all agree with each other the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Because my, you know, my thing was meant to be like ecumenical and like most of my friends were not Christian. But, you know, I took uh, everyone who would come and it was it was just at my apartment at the time. And yeah, I, did, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But, you know, it just uh, like... Getting people to show up was cut to the muscular Christians of NYU was kind of like getting like pulling teeth. Um, so I, I could imagine. Yeah. Uh, so what is the idea of your podcast in the sense of um, like, what is the conversation that you're trying to enter into or who with or what is the like space you're trying to inhabit with it? Like, hmm. What are you trying to like tackle or work out through this podcast? I mean, um I guess like I just really want to like talk about like things that I like and it's like based on my hope that it will be like powerful and like moving and like good for the world in a small way to like just like celebrate things that I like um and you know t t talk about like culture and um and spirituality in a way that's like open and isn't like totally beholden to kind of like uh, politically correct dogma um and so, I mean, and, you know, I like, I also thought it would be cool to like talk to people, like, you know, have like something to like invite people whose work I was interested on to, in to talk about it, you know, and like have, you know, a way to like, you know, ask questions to people that I thought were interesting, but, you know, did, but not just in the context of like, you know, oh, I was wondering this, but like, we can actually create something and, you know, that's my pitch. Um, and yeah, I think it's been really, uh, uh, edifying so far, um, it, to create it at least, um, it's been my primary creative outlet for the past almost a year since I started it. So I, I have this sense that, um, I want to talk about how you guys use irony or how you guys like kind of use transgressiveness in uh -huh. the podcast. Uh -huh. Um, and I get this sense that this is like a, a younger generation thing that I, I'm trying to catch up with. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I was to like, I'm going to give you my theory and then you kind of poke holes in it or what. But mm -hmm. like I get the sense that a lot of people have tried to have honest conversations about the faith, about politics, about whatever. And then they find that the other side's actually not being honest. Mm. You know, like it's actually I'm trying to in good faith, try to explain to you my my part 
and you're trying to win something or you're trying to undermine it or you're just looking for something to impeach me with and what I say. Mm-hmm. And therefore, like a real political conversation is not happening, a real religious conversation is not happening. I think this is the problem with apologetics usually mm-hmm. is that you can learn all the apologetics you want, show up to a bar or whatever and find a person to argue with. And you're not actually bringing anyone to Christ. Yeah, I mean, you know? I would say that, like, uh, I really do believe, like, if your interlocutor is, like, being, like, really hostile and, like, not entertaining you in good faith, they're still being, like, authentic to their feelings most of the time. But, um, but yeah. Well, I, I mean, like, um, like if, if it was a political conversation, if one person values the Constitution and the other co- person thinks the Constitution is a corrupt document written by a bunch of slaveholders, mm-hmm. then one person trying to make points from the Constitution, the other person will make points to the extent it serves their purpose, but they really don't care at the end of the day. Yeah. What the constitution says, right? Right. Because like they have like a kind of like overarching framework that means that like the constitutional appeal isn't really relevant. Right. Right. So they use it when it's useful. Uh They use it to score a point, but they don't actually use it the same way the other side's using it, Uh you know? And there's a dishonesty there. Like there's like a way in which one side's playing by a certain set of rules and the other side is allowed to cheat, you know? Um, and I feel like the way you guys sometimes like what, what really struck me about your podcast is you guys will have these like ironic conversations that switch to authenticity so quickly. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if part of the irony is to turn away the disingenuous conversation. Like, are you willing to joke around with me like this or are you too easily offended? And if yeah. you're too easily offended, you you won't be here by the time we get authentic. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? true. You could like frame it as like a way of seeing if you're like on the level or you know you're like you right. know, on the same wavelength. I think that, I mean, for uh, Zoomers especially, you know, like irony is kind of like uh, the water that you're swimming in, right? Like the the parable about the fish who, you know, one of them's like, "How's the water today?" And he's like, "Well, what's water?" Like. Um, <laughs> Like, that's kind of like what irony is to, I think, my generation. So what is irony poisoning in that context? Uh, I guess that's like when you like lose yourself, right? Like you lose like your agency and like your sense of values and like you're unable to like grasp onto anything that isn't like and that feels sincere and like isn't like a, a bit, you know. Yeah, maybe it was your ability to be authentic because you've been ironic so long. Mm-hmm. Right, but like, I don't know, like for me, like I don't think there's any inherent like tension there, or like there's no inherent like uh, contradiction in that, like, I don't know, like I just think that a lot of like the things that I love the most sincerely, like are also things that ha- have like a twinge of the ironic. I mean, I think that Chesterton understood like the appeal of the ironic too, because like he, you know, he's... It, uh, famous for like paradox, right? And like that's kind of like one of his like tropes, and like just like understanding like how bizarre and anomalous and funny it is, like the phenomenology of human experience, you know, and how that that can like connect you to like the divine because it is like so uh, mysterious and um, difficult to you know it, it describe in purely like. Uh, sincere terms like the emotional experience of being a person. There is a political aspect to your podcast. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't deny that. Yeah. And how does Catholicism define this kind of left-right thing that you're discussing in your podcast? Or how does that inform it? Huh. 
Huh. I mean, I think that like uh, just like Christianity in general kind of has aspects of both in that um, in that the way that I constitute that divide in my mind is like the, the, the same way that Curtis Yarvin would, where it's like uh, like kind of like entropy versus like order, right? Or like pronomianism and like insofar as like meaningful like human structures have been built and like uh, uh, what's the word? like you know institutions that create like rules and strictures and like systems of meaning like those institutions like they're as soon as it's been established it's being uh corroded by like just like the force of history and by the kind of like um the, whatever power can be gained by subverting it um and so like i think the fundamental difference between like progressive or like left-wing worldviews versus like right-wing worldviews is the difference between like eschatology versus eternal struggle like you know they hear that you hear that as like one of the like characteristics of like fascism for example is like the idea that the struggle is eternal and there's going to be warfare forever um but and but i think that that's uh more like broadly like uh uh, like correctly identify something about like a right-wing worldview whereas like you know progressive worldviews whether they be like centrist like uh like francis fukuyama or uh or like marxian in nature like they kind of like tend to be defined by the notion that if we expend like cultural like thermodynamic energy now we can advance to a state of being that has resolved conflict and that is like more desirable and um i mean you know christianity is like eschatological in it's like final like vision of the world um but in a worldly sense i think that it's historically been grounded in the temporal reality of like eternal struggle um notwithstanding like you know gnosticism and other kind of like offshoots of like the christian tradition but um so yeah i don't know if that answers your question but that's you know I, I think about it in terms of like metaphysics and like kind of uh well i think i think i like the definition of liberal and conservative meaning the way i would almost surmise it is like there's a belief in progress or an eschatology almost to a utopia in one sense mm -hmm. and then there's this other thing that we're always like holding back the barbarism mm -hmm. and we're creating structures to like civilize ourselves in yeah, that way. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to continually renew those structures, defend those structures, work on those structures if we're going to have any progress. But yeah. there's always like, like, like there's part of the thing that struck me is there's been this attitude of like, burn it all down and then something better will take its place. But don't ask me what the better thing is. Yeah, you know, and it's like, it it's like be. that's a huge act of faith. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's a, it's some kind of like a, a metaphor for this that comes in. I think it's in the Everlasting Man, where Chesterton says something to the effect of like, well, let's say that you uh, have like a white fence and you want to be conservative about it, right? Like, it's like, well, you think like people kind of have this instinct that like conservatism is status quo, so not doing anything is conservative. But he's saying that like to be conservative about it is actually the more proactive process, right? Because that means like, it's going to be subjected to weathering. You're going to have to constantly like repaint it, like whitewash it, like, uh, you know, replace the, the faulty parts. And it's, you're, you're fighting a fundamentally losing battle against like the elements but you know you do it because it's meaningful and you want to preserve something you know it maybe just like a generation longer whereas to be pro progressive about that fence like you just have to sit there and let the elements take their toll right or you yeah 
I mean, you can, you can, you can accelerate the process by like kicking it and like, you know, pouring acid on the fence, but like, that's really unnecessary, you know, because at the end of the day, like it's, it, you know, it, it's going to fall apart uh, by its own devices. Like, you know, in, in our like uh, fallen state, like everything that we build that's good, like is going to be like corrupted by, you know, human sinfulness. Um, so, so to kind of take it away from the, liberal perspective, uh, conservative dichotomy, and to think about like how I feel like the Christian attitude should be, I feel like we're always not maintaining fences, we're literally building. And mm -hmm. maybe a fence is a bad word for it. But like, like, trying to bring into being the society that we want in the community that we want in the parish that we want, mm -hmm. always. Yeah. And um, like, when I started Simple House, there was another ministry that the same that was a really like, courageous ministry but it was falling apart mm -hmm. it'd been around like 20 30 years and it was like kind of in its last couple years of life mm -hmm. and there was a sense in which it was like how can we let this fall apart because there's nobody else doing what this group's doing mm -hmm. right and in a way the thing that got me fired up was to say it's okay that things die as long as we keep founding new ones mm -hmm. You know, as long as we keep giving birth to new organizations that are really out there and like courageously Christian, it's okay when they die. You know, <laughs> like more religious orders don't exist today um, or have ceased to exist than do exist. Right, right. Yeah, I think that might be a weakness of the metaphor. Um, but like, it's just, you know, the point that you should always be building, like always constructing something, I think is like a recognition of that there's never going to be like a cessation and like things. Yeah, like old institutions are going to like fall apart and become obsolete. Um, and, you know, that's why it's always like a proactive process. And that's why, you know, in, in our worldly lives, like there will really like be no peace it's always just going to be like you know if you like i guess like the ideal of like becoming a saint is like ascending to like a higher level of struggle where like this you know the moral struggles that you might have had like uh you know in your younger years like uh are seem like petty in comparison you know um and you're realizing like that there's always like a newer frontier of like temptation and virtue um and that you're always called to like do the most that you can yeah. And I, I think the temptation against this is kind of what we what I see is where it's like every new like little battle lost or bad thing that happens, you go, oh, now we're doomed. You know, it's like we're in the Titanic and it's like there's even another hole in the you know ship, you know, yeah. and now we're really going to sink. But really, you're waiting for the next hole. So you can say now we're really doomed, you know, <laughs> yeah. but you're never like building the next ship. You're never like, you know, actually doing anything constructive with this information. It's just. Uh -huh. enjoying the outrage of it, uh -huh. you know? Yeah. But, well, what is, um, I'm, I'm interested in anything else you want to add. I also want to get some, an episode suggestion from you for your podcast. Um, uh -huh. I have one I want to suggest. It might be the uh -huh. same one you'd suggest. Uh huh. Well, my most recent one, uh, By the Lantern with Dave Green, I think was definitely one of my favorites. Um, I think that we cover a lot of the content that we've talked about here. Um, and it's like a little bit more, um, probably like a little bit more um, comprehensive in terms of my thought about like a lot of those um, ideas. Um, I, I thought that podcast was excellent. Thank you. And it really broadened my mind. And I kind of fell in love with Dave Green during that podcast, which for people who don't know, he's got a YouTube channel called The Distributivist. Yeah. Also yeah. A Chesterton reference, basically. Uh -huh. And um, 
I then started listening to Dave on other interviews because I'd heard you interview him. And I was like, oh, this isn't as good as when Nick interviewed him. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know so. about that. I loved, uh, you know, I think that he's, uh, he's he, all of his appearances are great. Um, I think that my favorite is still probably like uh, uh, Ephemeral Angels with Curtis Yarvin. That was like a big uh, uh, turning point for me personally, I think. Um, I need to go listen to that. Um What's interesting also, though, is that these guys who are coming to our book club, who I admire, who are kind of coming out of the culture, they told me that they listened to the Red Scare podcast. They listened to Contain, uh-huh. you know, and then I talked to you and you, you're like very you mentioned Red Scare in your podcast and you uh-huh. also mentioned Contain, you uh-huh. know, and you told me the best podcast episode of all time is this certain put contain episode so i listened to what you called the best podcast episode of all time and i thought it wasn't even as good as the worst episode i've heard of your podcast oh really well thank you and i'm not doing that to give you a great compliment i just thought it was a bad episode oh i don't know i I just just have different taste i just I, i like one thing i do really admire is when there's kind of like this very spontaneous like energy to a podcast it was that and i i don't really think that mine is really that spontaneous most of the time i feel like it's like more uh like relaxed and like kind of like you know like Sleepy. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, the like, like, like had someone waking up in the middle of it and joining in and being like, sorry, I'm late. And uh, you're yeah. like, what the, what's going on here? Yeah. Cause anyway. I feel like I've been a part of that. Like I did a, I recently appeared on my friend Charlie Looker's uh, live stream. And like, I feel like I accidentally did that because I was having technical issues the whole time. And just like the topics were like changing. And I like, like, you know, it's thrilling. Like there's like, there's a certain like jouissance to like that kind of uh, uh, recording. Um, but <laughs> I yeah, I think if I knew them as people, I would have found it more entertaining than uh-huh. I did. So maybe uh-huh. that's what the key is. But anyway, yeah. Well, thank you, Nick. Um, is there anything else you want to add before we go? Um, no, nothing really comes to mind. But thank you so much for having me on. This uh, I hope this is uh, you know uh, pleasing to you and uh, and that your audience will gain something from it. And uh, well, I'm hoping that. Um, I'm hoping they do too. And I'm also hoping that I feel like if you keep following Christ and keep bringing up God and authentic religious experience in your podcast, I I just find it fascinating because you're showing how to talk to people, Mm -hmm. you know, people who are not of our religion, people who are against our religion, and you're Mm -hmm. just having very nice conversations with them. And it's beautiful. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I'm kind of um, really like too inexperienced and like too new to the faith to be like a full blown like missionary or like evangelist in like a proper sense, you know. Um, So I'm kind of just like approaching it from this position of like talking about things that I'm interested in. Um, But I think I guess like in terms of my personal practice, like more generally, I just think that it's really important to always be open and kind of like maintain like dexterity and be like nimble in engaging with ideas. And I guess like the liability of that, um, you know, if so, like if someone could probably criticize me for becoming like an, it almost like a, a, an empty vessel that can be like, uh, you know, corrupted by the world. Right. Because like the more you engage with it on its own terms, like, you know, then the more, like the less like distinct you are on your own terms to some extent, but it's I, always going to be a balance, you know, I just don't buy that empty vessel idea at all. I, I feel like 
we as Catholics have two very classical tried ways that we approach things. We approach uh -huh. things through kind of like an indoctrination uh -huh. or through an apologetic. Uh -huh. And it's like both of them kind of suck. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, both of them aren't about having heart to heart conversations with another human. And I think ultimately the whole world is shot through with Christ. And yes, there's fallen and yes, but every time you're encountering anyone on your podcast, it's clearly the image and likeness of God. And oh, you're well, like speaking you. to them like that. You thank know? you. Yeah. I mean, everyone are like people that I like, you know, that's why I have them on. Um, so, <laughs> and I think you're fortified enough that you're not like catching their mind virus. If that's uh -huh. what's happening, but you're giving them a mind virus. I hope so. That's <laughs> the idea. I mean, like I am like, you know, firm in my beliefs, like I have like a pretty good grasp of like where I stand or whatever. So, you know, I feel like I can generally like afford to like be like kind of like open and inquisitive and like you know try to engage with things on like a more a different level um but but yeah that's like really like i guess like where i assign priority in a lot of ways is like to being um you know just like approaching things and all like n never kind of becoming like locked in like one pattern of thinking and like trying to be as like i said like as dexterous as possible well, that's great. I mean, I'm rooting for you. So. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, thanks for listening too. I really, uh, I'm always like surprised, like, uh, like encountering like people in the world that I've never talked to before who are like talk, talk to me about the podcast and like reach out and like invite me to cool shows like this. And um. cool. All right. Well, God bless. And um, talk to you in a minute. Likewise. Likewise.